0: Well, it's an interesting passage we read this morning, and I'm afraid in my regular Bible reading early on in my Christian days, if I came across Galatians 4, we didn't even finish in our scripture reading all of it, but if I came across in my early days Galatians 4 and saw all these nuances and twists and turns there, I think, yeah, okay, where's a good life verse here, right? Where's the one little verse I can hang a hook on? Well, there's a lot here, and and there's a lot of beautiful, simple truth here. You should be encouraged by that. All of Galatians has not been so simple, but I think there's some simple things that will guide and encourage us this morning from God's Word. Paul's tone is changing here, finally. He's been very theological, he's been very doctrinal, and he's been very like, no, no, no. Parents, we've all experienced that, right? Certain seasons of life, maybe even grandparents, uh, where we've had to say no a lot. There have been days in our home where we've been like, man, I feel like all I've said today is no. I appreciate Brian Sanders and Liz who will have yes days at their home sometimes. After a season of a lot of no's, they'll just figure out a way They tell the kids, look, don't go crazy, but we're going to try to say yes to as much as we can today, right? Now, I should have never been told that as a kid. I know what I would have done. Let's go to, you know, the moon or something crazy. So after all of these hard no's and theological no's, Paul is softening his tone, even though it's very direct here. He's, He's beginning to sound more like a pastor and a shepherd because you see his love for them emerge. Right as we're getting into the text this morning, let me just kind of set it up this way. At some point in your life, for one reason or for a host of reasons, have you, have you come to a point where the way forward is so hard that you've actually thought about turning around and going back? Like, I don't know whether it's in your career or education or, or maybe, Um, I tried something yesterday that, that, um, I haven't tried in a while. I, I did this activity. I left the house for a few minutes. And when I came back in based on my attire and the look that I probably should have called 911, my kids looked at me and said, dad, did you run? That's how long it's been since I've done anything that looked like running. I said, well, I, I did something that kind of qualifies maybe somewhat, I didn't nap, right, so I was doing some physical exercise, but, but you hit a wall. Have you ever done that? So you're, whatever it is, you're exercising, you hit a wall, and you think, oh, it'd be so easy if I just stopped or went back. Maybe it's in relationships that that's come about. Maybe it's even your walk with Christ where you just look and you're like, okay, I'm done with the easy stuff. The way forward is harder. And the thought comes, it would be a lot easier to turn around and go back rather than push forward. But we know that's a lie because if you go back, like if you go back, you've got to start over. You've got to go all the way back. Like your brain's playing tricks on you, and that's where the Galatians are. Their brain is playing tricks on them. The, the Judaizers, those people that have come in and said, no, 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 you've got to go back and do all these other things that you're not doing that, that even though Paul said you were free from, you've got to add these if you want to be a real kind of Christian. And there are folks saying that to us today in the Christian world for sure. But, but Paul is perplexed. He, he, he loves these people and he wants to hold their hand and show them, watch this, how utterly ridiculous and illogical and unintelligent, and unoriginal it is to think they can turn around and go back to bondage. Does it sound familiar? Remember when we were studying Exodus? Shortly after Israel left Egypt in bondage, I mean, they they said they, they came to this difficult transition in the wilderness, and they were like, man, I wish we could go back to Egypt. You ever thought about when they said that? Wait, you want to go back to being in bondage and being slaves? That's what you want to do? They, They actually told Moses, would that we were back in Egypt. We want to go back. It's too difficult out here. We'd rather die in Egypt than go through this hard thing here. So as we come to the very beginning of our passage this morning, I'm going to give you this first header that kind of captures these first three four verses here it is very simple don't turn back don't turn back now for the believer we're not talking about turning away from salvation to being lost that's not what we're talking about but we are talking about turning back to ways that are not redeemed don't turn back You'll notice the passage is a little wonky there. It's the beginning of our text and then an end passage that we didn't read. I'll touch that in just a moment. Let's look at the passage together. Paul, writing here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Verse 8, verse 9. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again? To the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. If you've got your Bibles with you, look at verse 10. I'll tell you a verse I scratched my head on when I was young. It says on here, you observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Talk about taking a verse out of context. Like if you just grab that verse, those two verses, you're like, wait, why is Paul... Why is Paul mad that they're observing days, months, seasons, and years? What's going on with that? Obviously, there's more to it than just a surface reading. What he's talking about is they had gone back to pagan rituals on the calendar and Jewish rituals that the calendar demanded that they do in an effort to please God. So he's saying, no, 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 you've gone back to this thing thinking the calendar's in charge and God's up there going, hey, it's June the 1st, you're not loving me enough. That's not how this works anymore. When it comes to living for Jesus, though, and living a gospel-revealing life, listen to me, church, turning back is first-class folly. I love that little phrase from Todd Wilson, first-class folly folly he gives some guidance here to keep them from turning back here's the first little point he says remember who you were before christ remember who you were what does he say about that he says you were enslaved they were enslaved to themselves they were enslaved to the world enslaved to the enemy enslaved to a broken system the writer of hebrews says is now obsolete because christ has come They were enslaved, and they were also against God. Now, they may not have thought of themselves as enemies of God, but he's saying, look, remember, this is who you were. You had no knowledge of God in a biblical sense. You had no intimate relationship with God. Why would you want to go back to that? Remember who you were, friend. When you look around at your friends who are not in church and not trying to live a God-honoring life, and they seem to be, quote-unquote, getting by or enjoying their little slice of life, and you think, man, I, used to, I wish I, I, I... No, remember who you were. You were outside of the family of God. Remember that you, before Christ, you, most of us at the time, really just ignored God or kept Him at a distance, We like setting up our own rules. We followed our own desires, our own priorities, whether they were religious or secular. We kind of made it up as we went along, like they did in Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, like we're doing today in culture, where it shifts every 10 minutes. There's some new rule to obey, some new group that you can possibly offend, and some new way that living the Christian life is categorized as hate speech. Remember who you were outside of God. The Bible calls this rebellion and sin. We find ourselves serving worthless and powerless things. And our self rule resulted in self destruction, damage to others, and damage to this world. This is an accurate picture of who you were. You know, your brain can play tricks on you. You can think and go like, you know, but I wish I, I remember when I had my Sundays to myself. I mean, we're only here like two hours. Y'all know that a lot of people go to church a lot longer than us, right? It, right? Y'all know this, right? If we, when we go on a mission trip together, when some of us get to go on a mission trip together to just about any culture, you, let me just give you a little piece of advice. You'll take your watch off and leave it at the hotel room before we get to the church service, right? The announcements are 30 minutes, the worship is about an hour and a half of music, and then the preaching when it gets started is anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half. I went to a church service in Haiti one time, and it was in, on a Tuesday afternoon, this was a year after the earthquake in Haiti where Port-au-Prince was still in rubbles. I attended this church service, and our guide said, this service started two months ago. I'm like, oh, like a series of services? And they're like, no, no. This service has been running nonstop for two months. This was not a charismatic church. This service had been running nonstop for two months. I'm like, do they take a bathroom break? Is it the same guy preaching? I mean, what do you say after two months, right? It was just this flow of worship and prayer. And and so we think back, we're like, man, I wish I had my Sundays back to myself. You don't because you're outside of the family of God, our brain plays tricks on us. We think it was better outside. Paul's saying it's not, don't go back. (laughs) Reflect on who you were, reflect on who you are now. You're free in Christ. You have a living relationship with God. You are known by God and you know God intimately in this Bible sense to be known by God, to have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, to be kept as the apple of God's eye, hidden under the shadow of his wing, like the psalmist says, John says in Revelation, to have our name written in the Lamb's book of life. In Luke 12, to know that it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom of God. What utter nonsense and insanity it would be to turn our back to that and go back to foolishness and foolish ways. Brother or sister in Christ, walking with the Lord Jesus Christ is all kinds of awesome. It is. Our Christian life and experience has got to be more than just people who prayed a prayer one time at a service a while ago and now are just trying to live week by week. No. The Bible describes a New Testament Christian A biblical Christian as a child of God who walks with God and knows God intimately and experiences the power of God. We're a people who serve God wholeheartedly, not because we're trying to earn favor with God, but because we've received the favor of God in Christ. And we love to lavish our love on him. We walk with God as sons and daughters of the Most High God, knowing Him and loving Him because He first loved us, glorifying Him and making Him known. Remember who you were. Don't turn back. Remember, reflect on who you are. And then he says thirdly there, reject those former ways. They're in the text. Stop thinking you can go back to doing the old things, the old ways, but that makes any kind of sense. Doing those old things, the old ways from your old former life, they will prove powerless and worthless. Powerless, but they'll cost you all your energy. <laughs> worthless, but they'll rob you of your resources. If you're reading along with the church family in Hosea this week, this past week, you came to an interesting passage. If you thought Gomer was an interesting name for a woman, just because it's a a strange name for us to say, like, Hosea, I command you to take a wife and her name is Gomer. Now, we're not in that culture, but let's be honest, dudes, when we read that in the Bible, we're like, Gomer? Right, you read that, you're like, like Pyle from Andy Griffith? What is this about, Gomer? So you read Gomer, and you're thinking, something's wrong, right? And then the description comes that this wife is going to be unfaithful. And you see Hosea commanded to take this woman that's going to be unfaithful. And then they have kids. And then the Lord gives these names to the kids. And one of the kids' names, it just gives you the translation, is no mercy. I mean, you thought Gomer was bad. And then another kid's name it gives is this. You ready for this? Not my people. Now, I'm no therapist. I've got a room full of some, but I'm pretty sure that might help foster a complex. Like, no mercy, come here. No mercy, where are you? You are in trouble. I guess they are with no mercy. Where's not my people? Not my people, get in here. Not my people. Well, what do you care where I am? I'm not your people. What do you do with that? Like, how do you process that? And you think about that. And that's this born out of unfaithfulness. That's this former life, and then... Hosea points to the fact that that can change, but man, does the Bible give us a glimpse into that changing? Now, here's one of your favorite verses from 1 Peter 2, but think of it in light of the context of this promise of God for the unfaithful. In 1 Peter 2.10, the Bible says, once you were not a people, not my people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, no mercy. But now you have received mercy. Guess what the difference is? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. A living relationship with Christ. He changes our names. We don't go back to those old ways because they result in no mercy. They alienate us from God. They they alienate us from the presence of God. In John's Gospel, chapter number 6 of John's Gospel, Jesus is laying down some hard teaching for the disciples. He's got a crowd around him, and he says, unless you do these things, you can't be my disciple. And, and the Bible says, it's interesting, the reference in the English-speaking Bible, I'm sure some of the other Bible nerds have noted this, but in John 6, 66, 6, ouch, right? But in John 6, 66, it says, and many of his disciples departed him from him and walked with him no more. So 666 is bad and, and the reference is bad, right? It's, come on, it's not a good day. And then John looks as this big crowd is, le- Jesus looks rather, as this big crowd is leaving him and looks at his 12, his, his posse, his cadre, and he says, are you gonna leave too? Now, You're reading that and you think, oh, surely they're going to say, no, 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 surely. Oh, Lord, we're with you. But you've been with the disciples for a minute as you've been reading the New Testament. You're like, I don't know what these jokers are going to do, right? They keep getting all these things wrong. And Simon Peter speaks up, as he often does. But Simon Peter speaks up and answers the Lord and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. At the end of this chapter in Galatians, we see it illustrated in the life of Sarah and Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. You can go read that for homework as you read the whole chapter in context. But one of those was blessed, right? Remember the story from the Old Testament? One of those, Sarah, was blessed in her lineage and the gospel came through that. And one of those was not blessed, right? Hagar and Ishmael. The gospel came how? The promise came how? Through obedience to God's word, God's way. Not going back to the old ways and trying to figure stuff out and make stuff happen on our own. Don't turn back. Don't turn back to your old ways, remember where God brought you from. Don't turn back to your old ways, think about who you are in Christ now. I was counseling a brother just this past week who's really going through it. I mean, it's one thing after another falling apart in his life. Seriously, he's dealing with something and then something else he's now dealing with and then a family member's dealing with a crisis and then another family, I mean, and this was in the course of three days. And these were major crises. And you know what? I didn't have a lot of answers for him. We didn't have a lot of places to go to figure out, to turn the Bible. Oh, 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 you know what? Three days from now, everything, no, there's no, what did we do? We went to what we knew. I said, well, what do we know about God? He's good. And he's working for our good. And even in the midst of pain and suffering, there's nothing worth turning back to our old ways. Again, church family, hear me. We're not talking about walking away from the salvation of the Lord. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about going back and embracing worldly ideologies, worldly ways of doing things, broken systems, legalistic ways of trying to accomplish the things, grabbing anything other than what God says. What is that? It's disobedience. It's disobedience. Don't turn back. There's nothing but disaster and alienation from God when we turn back. You've come too far. That's Paul's desire for there. Let me hasten. I I wanted to spend a little bit of time there, but let me give you the remaining observations, some hooks to help navigate you through this text. The second thing, when we come to the second part of the passage here, I've categorized it this way. Ready? Trust God's word. Trust God's word. Paul describes in this passage that when he came to them, he preached the gospel and it was very difficult for him to preach it because he had such a physical malady he was dealing with. It made them uncomfortable, but they still received him with great joy. And then he says, but now you've turned cold. I mean, you're ready to stone me. I'm still preaching the same truth I preached when I came earlier, but something's changed, and it's you. You've changed. God's word hasn't changed. So, so let me just let me summarize this, this passage here with a couple of points for you. When Paul showed up, it was very difficult for him. At the beginning of this, in verse 12, he says, Do like I do. I want you to be like me. Imitate me. So here's what Paul did. He trusted God's word even when it was hard to live. I'm gonna ask you, and I think the Holy Spirit will empower us as the people of God to trust God's word even when it's difficult to live out. We've got two extremes facing us in the church today as we try to figure out how in the world we're going to engage the culture around us. One is to live in such a way that we distance ourselves so far from non-Christians that that we don't even ever have any meaningful relationship with those who are lost or conversations. And then you've got the other extreme where we, we so identify so closely with those outside the faith, we're indistinguishable from them. Nobody would know we were a Christian by the way we live and talk and respond and act and consume. Paul did a great job of living out this tension beautifully. In fact, he says in another passage in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, look, to, to the weak I became as weak, to the strong I became as strong. When I was with these folks, I would do their customs and these I would do this. I wouldn't violate my conscience or violate scripture, but I would knew how to be where I was and speak to the crowd that was in front of me. We would learn well from that. Paul says, I did all this in 1 Corinthians 9, 23, for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Let me say something quickly. We'll get to more freedom as we get to chapter 5. But Paul used his freedom that he had in Christ not for selfish gain, not for reckless consumption. Paul used his freedom for the sake of the gospel. So so he's calling the Galatians, and God is calling us to trust God's word, even when it's hard to live out. You know, sometimes you come to church, and the sermon says, man, I'm so uplifted. I feel like I could just float out of here and sing the hallelujah chorus. Life is grand, and I'm in charge, right? Other Sundays, you leave limping. Man, that was rough. He was stepping on my toes. He was crushing my feet. That was awful, right? Same truth. Trust God's word when it's sweeter than honey on the honeycomb and when it's a sword that cuts away some of the things we need cut away in our life. Second, trust God's word when it's not popular to hear. Can I just tell you? (laughs) Newsflash. The word of God is not real popular to hear right now in our culture and society. And unfortunately, the data shows that it's getting less and less popular in our churches from our pulpits. Uh, there's a, a wonderful friend here this morning. I don't want to embarrass her, but she was on a mission assignment distant for some time. And I remember she had gone to a church service with some friends, other missions friends. And she left the church service kind of disillusioned and came back. She said, there wasn't a whole lot of scripture there. I attended a um, several events before and and even at a conference where a guy was speaking to pastors and noted that the guy speaking to pastors who were there who by confession loved God's word and wanted tools to study God's word even better, right? Looking for tools to put in our tool belt. He spoke for 35 minutes. He was at minute 27 before he quoted the first passage of scripture. And he just quoted it out of necessity so he could get to his other points. The word of God may not be popular in our culture. In fact, years ago, when I was on staff at the Graham Evangelistic Association, we were working on a project in the United Kingdom where a great tour from Franklin's just wrapped up. And, and one of the directors in the UK, who was not a staff person for the BGEA, but was a church leader, said, I'll tell you a problem we have, you've got too much scripture in your materials, and too much scripture, in what you're trying to say. You, you've got to understand, in our culture, the Word of God, God's Word is toxic, and I'll never forget it. Without missing a beat, one of, the, one of the men of God in the room said, you got that right, it's toxic to sin. And we're okay with that. If we don't quote the Word of God, what do we have to say? The world's full of pablum. Listen, we can trust God's word even when it's unpopular in culture. The word of God cuts, but it also heals. Paul encouraged Timothy later on, you know the passage, preach the word in season and out of season. Our culture has itching ears to hear what makes them feel good, and nobody wants to hear that they have a need of a Savior. But that's the truth. Let's recap before we hit our final point this morning. Don't turn back. Remember who you were. Reflect on who you are. Re- reject your former ways. Listen, trust God's word. It's enough. It's enough. Even when it's hard to live out, the Bible says we have everything we need to walk in obedience to God. His spirit, his word, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Even when it's hard to hear, is it hard to hear sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. They had soured on Paul. They loved him when he got there and were ready for him to go when he came back. Congregations do that to pastors sometimes, don't they? Oh, we've got the greatest new pastor. That's year one. Year two, how's he doing? I think he might make it. He's doing okay. We love his wife, right? Year three, how's it going? Well, the search committee's gotten together. And we're praying. I did make it past the three-year mark, for which I'm grateful, but uh, two of those years were kind of wonky with COVID, so I don't know. Maybe I've got to make it to five. We'll see. You know the church has problems when the pastor's name outside is written on a whiteboard. (laughs) Trust the Word of God, even when it's difficult to hear. Finally, this morning, just a word on these last three verses. Live passionately for Jesus. Live passionately for Jesus. Would you just look with me quickly at verses 17 through 20? These Judaizers, he said, they're making much of you. They're trying to build you up, but they're pulling you away for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you'll make much of them. Listen to me. False teachers do this. They want you to celebrate them. They want you to get in line with them. They want you to buy all their product. They don't want you to make anything worth anything. In your walk with God, you need to depend on them. That's what the Judaizers wanted. That's what legalists want. That's what the prosperity gospel wants. All of them leading you away from God. Verse 18, it is good, he says, to be made much of for a good purpose. He's saying it's good to get passionate about something if the purpose is right. Then look at his passion. Verse 19, I'm in anguish of childbirth until Christ is forming you. He is passionate about their walk with Christ. He's passionate about being with them, verse 20. He wants to be with them and present with them. He's perplexed about them. When I use the word passionate, I want to say this to my Grace Covenant family. We're family. I love you. This may sting a little bit, but I'm with you. I'm right in here with you. When I use the word passionate and we talk about faith, um, some of us get nervous. Some of us think of the hyper-emotionalism that marks a lot of churches that describe themselves as passionate. When we think of passionate churches or passionate worship, our mind goes to the stream on one end. Let me remind you, God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. But we can overcorrect. We can get so concerned, though... And and so concerned to avoid being labeled those things that we overcorrect. Christianity, yes, has satisfied the highest intellects for centuries, but it is not chiefly intellectual. At the same time, it's not a glandular religion. It's not based on feeling. But the New Testament is full of passionate, expressive acts of worship and devotion and love that mark the common experience of the believer. Now, many of us get nervous over me saying that word passion that many times in a church service. I get it. And we say we think on the side of reverence. Well, reverence. Well, in the Bible, reverence doesn't mean always quiet. (laughs) And and unless you think I'm calling for extremism, you know me well enough I'm not calling for that. But I am saying this. We're passionate about some stuff. Some of you are very passionate about sports. We've we've seen you. Some of you are passionate about fashion. Some of you are passionate about entertainment. That's all you talk about. Some of you are passionate about food and drink and politics and culture. We can be passionate about all sorts of things. Here's the question I have for you, though. The passion about those things and those systems in the worlds that get us the applause of the world that Paul's just mentioned. They might get you the likes and the shares and the thumbs up and, hey, let's talk about this. But they don't amount to anything worth anything in eternity. The same thing's happening with the Galatians. These Judaizers are trying to pull them away to be passionate about the wrong things. I want you to imagine you've got a little passion container, a little passion cup, and you've only got so much passion to pour around on all the things. And if you pour it all out on the things of this world, what do you have left for your faith? And walk with God. Paul is reminding them God's purpose is greater than the world's empty praise. God's purpose is greater than the world's empty praise. You don't have to be sucked in to everything the world has to offer because you know what? They'll drop you in a heartbeat once they're done with you. I don't know if you follow fashion, but... If you need some advice, I can think of a precious lady here at church that can help you. You know what she'll tell you, if I'm not mistaken? um, Fashion changes every once in a while. Yeah, it updates. I got an amen from Sarah Louise there. There's seasons that change. Things that are in today won't be in a couple of months from now. First off, how do you budget for that? Secondly, I mean, come on, right? Fashion changes, politics change, culture changes, restaurant, I mean, Things are at a rapid pace. Why don't we get passionate about the things that last for eternity? Let me just point out two things Paul's passionate about here. You can put them both up, brother. He's passionate that they would be conformed into the image of Christ. He says, I want Christ formed in you. Remember, he wants him formed in me. He's already said in Galatians, it's not I that live. It's Christ living in me. I've been crucified with Christ. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I want to live so that the world sees Jesus in me. I want you to live so the world sees Jesus in you. I don't want to advance the brand of Grace Covenant Church in South End. I want to advance the name of Jesus Christ on the lips of every home here so that Christ would be the hub of the homes around us. I want your neighbors to know that you're the place they can go when their world is falling apart because you have been with Jesus. He's passionate to be conformed to Christ. And in the same verse, verse 19, I think you can make the case that he's passionate to see others set free by Christ. The only way, Brother Doug, if you'll step over to the piano for just a moment. The only way that we can, I title the message, Grow in Grace. The only way we can do that is if we follow God's word and surrender and submit to God's spirit. And like the songwriter says, fix our eyes on Jesus and let the things of this earth grow strangely dim. Jesus said in John 8, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This is the gospel. This is sinners being set free from sin. Sinners being set free from Satan. Sinners being set free from themselves because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of a Nazarene named Jesus from the other side of the globe. Don't turn back. Trust God's word and live passionately for Jesus. How will you ask God to help you live this out? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to live out these truths. We cannot do it without you. We are desperate for your spirit to animate us, God. We, we feel the temptation from time to time. I, I, I don't know that anybody in the room feels like throwing in a towel and quitting. Lord, but when we're tempted, that's because we're relying on our own strength, our own energy, God. Oh, Father, give us that childlike faith that helps us rely totally on you and your work. Help us to serve out of passionate love for you. And Lord, when culture is screaming at us and liberal Christianity, the voices want to pull us away, help us to trust your word in a way that marks us as your people, Lord, that we can be free. We bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Norm and the men to come now that will be serving. You all come on as we move toward a time of communion.